Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. And my guest this hour is David Franklin Farkas. And uh, he is a professional house healer and ghost rescuer. A gifted, intuitive, and spiritual healer, he does remote energetic healing work, clearing real estate, people, businesses, and situations. He works on cases involving buildings, land, people, negotiations, legal matters, travel, and situations of all kinds. He is also a sought-after humorous and controversial international speaker whose signature talk is entitled, Is Everything You Know About Ghosts Dead Wrong? His website is www.househealing.com. And uh, joining me again here in the X-Zone is our friend David Franklin Farkasson. David, welcome back. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. <laughs> All right, David, for those who may not have had the pleasure of hearing you before, tell us more about your, yourself and how you got to be a, uh, a house healer. <laughs> yeah, I always say that you have to take me out to, din- to probably three or four dinners to get the entire story. Oh, I tried that last time and I didn't get the full story, so it's not going to work this time. I know, it, it's a mini-series. Um, <laughs> um, the, the, our story begins. Um, when I was nine years old, mm-hmm. a cousin from out of town came and visited and we went out to a playground in Brooklyn and he fell down and scratched his knee and I didn't know what to do. And I knew I was supposed to know what to do. And I got started me into this whole looking into how do you heal the physical body? What do you need to know? First aid Mm -hmm. eventually got on rescue squads, became an EMT, all kinds of things like that. And I thought that's what that was about. (laughs) Um, and in the course of the way things unfolded, I dropped into a class on hands-on healing. It was not my conference, but in those days there wasn't any security and I could do it really easily. 
I was like, what is this? What are we talking about here? Um, and it was a fascinating group of people. They were doing therapeutic touch, which was the first hands-on healing being taught to nurses. And it started me in the direction of learning about hands-on healing and my abilities in that realm. And evidently, I was gifted at it. Um, fast forward to my dad being seriously ill, had a brain tumor. Oh, I'm sorry. And I, I rushed out to, thank you, I rushed out to California to take care of him and I had this new skill. And I said, well, let me work on him and I'll charge up his IV bottles. And, you know, they looked at me like I was crazy, but, you know, I was a relative, so they couldn't do much. And he went home from brain surgery 10 days after surgery. Wow. with a little bit of support. I was like, I don't know if this is anything I did, but wow. Um, and my life kind of blew up during the course of that year, divorce and all kinds of other things going on. And in the middle of all that, something was going on with dad. I called him up on his birthday and he didn't recognize me. Hmm. So I called some friends and said, something's going on. You know, pick him up, find out what's going, what's happening. And they took him to, to the hospital, and it was a second brain tumor. So I rushed out there, and um, long story short, after I spent some time with my dad sorting a few things out in his hospital room, his boss took me out in the hall and said, uh, do you know anything about psychic surgery? I mean, out of nowhere, just said that said, oh, really? It's going to be one of those days. <laughs> so he introduced me to a healer who had been trained by psychic surgeons in the Philippines who was getting very good results with, um, you know, various kinds of cancer where there were no other options. Um, and dad didn't want to go through any of the medical procedures any, anymore. He had had enough of that the first go around. Um, so we, we started going to see Greg Shelkin and in the course of this, someone else said, oh, you work with crystals. You should meet this Cherokee medicine man. They call the crystal godfather. His name is the Kitawa. And the Kitawa took me under his wing and basically took care of me while I was taking care of dad. And so it was about six weeks that I took care of him and he. He died. I got to be there with him for that. And then I was supposed to go back to the East Coast and finish out the school year on my job and mm -hmm. uh, make believe life was normal. And the last person I talked to was the Kitawa. And he said, so you're leaving? I said, yeah. Coming back? I said, think so. You know when? said, well, if this conversation goes like every other one I've had with you, you're going to tell me right now. Oh, well, yeah. And he said, pick me up at this time and date <laughs> months later. Um, and what he did for me over the course of the next – I get, went, I cleaned up my life on the East Coast as well as I could. Drove out to California uh, in four days. Wow. My memoirs are going to be called – 200 miles before breakfast um, and picked him up and just, you know, I'm taking you to this reservation. And he dropped me in the middle of a week long ceremony. 
um, where I was treated like a member of the tribe and got the same teachings and did the same ceremonial things. And that was basically what he did for three years was, I, I like to say, drop me in the deep end of the pool and just make sure I didn't drown. So, um, so what did you learn in those three weeks that, that you were there learning with the, well, the other members three of your tribe? Well, it was three years. Three years, I'm sorry. Yeah. Three years with your the other members of your tribe. Um, it's hard to explain in a simple way the the understandings of Native Americans and the way they are in the world and the way, the way they look at the relationship between human beings mm-hmm. and everything else, including the spirit world, is really profound. And I got to sit and listen to the, to the same teachings the tribe members were getting and be challenged in, in many ways with that. The other man I was studying with, Greg Shelkin, I never knew what he was going to spring on me. It might be that I was working on one of his clients. It might be that he was working on me, you know, on the table, uh, doing healing on me. And uh, to give you an idea of the kind of crazy stuff that went on, um, I was coming home from somewhere 8 o'clock at night or something, and this was before cell phones or any of that. And my guides are saying, you got to go to Greg's. You got to go over to Greg's. Like, it's eight o'clock at night, you know. So I go and I ring the doorbell. He's like, why are you here? They were yelling at me. They said I was supposed to be here. All right, come on in. We'll make tea. I don't know. And the phone rings and somebody is screaming like nothing I've ever heard before. And he's trying to calm her down and pulling paraphernalia out of a bottom drawer. And gets off the phone, looks at me and says, so you want to do an exorcism? I was like, okay, I knew I came here for some reason. And we spent the night doing a classic exorcism with somebody. Um, he also would just drop me in the deep end of the pool, make sure I wasn't drowning. Wow. So the highest drama in the whole thing was I was doing all of that. I was working nights in a locked psych hospital and living in a camper. It's a great storyline. Um, and all that went on for three years, and I came out of it completely different. <laughs> I, I would imagine. So what's the difference between a, a native exorcism and a, let's say, a, a religious exorcism? Well, his Greg's training was with Philippine spiritual healers that they called psychic surgeons. Right. And that's partly traditional healing and partly Catholicism. So there were elements of what he came with that were very much like Catholic exorcism, but he wasn't sitting there doing the, doing the liturgy that would usually be done um, in a Catholic exorcism. It winds up, the way we did it was not as much of a verbal confrontation. We were sitting there psychically trying to figure out who the demon was and what his name was. Because if we had that, we had him. All right, stand by. You and I have to take our break. Exxon Nation, our guest this hour, David Franklin Farkas. His website is househealing.com. And uh, David and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue talking about house healing, ghosts, things that go bump in the night, and much more. The Exxon is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. 
and the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. And we're also on Simultv.com. Don't go away. We'll be back in a few minutes. David Franklin Parkus is our guest this hour, Exonation. Househealing.com is his website. And David, uh, how long did it take for you and your friend to finally identify this this demon or this this bad spirit and exercise it? You know, I, I, time was com- completely different while we were doing it, so I don't really have any idea. Um and my father, who had died recently, was very present for me, and I asked him to help. I asked him to get me get me the name, and he did, um, which was pretty funny. I said, "That's a creepy guy." I'm going, "Yeah, I need his name. How am I going to get his name?" It's like, "Dad, you're on the other side. You're resourceful. Ask somebody." I don't know. Yeah. And he came back with the name. I'm like, "Cool, that worked." Um. But one of you know there are experiences you have doing this stuff that are very hard to explain. When when we got this demon out of the woman, he was really angry at me. So I had a demon about a quarter of an inch from my nose, um, expressing his displeasure and trying to get into my body. So I learned a lot about protection and not allowing that kind of thing to happen. I. The work that I do now clearing demons is very different after all these years. That was almost 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there are some things that used to bother me that just don't bother me at all. <laughs> Listen, your blurb says you apply the nature of the mature technologies of indigenous healers uh, to today's world. Does that mean that you, David, are a, are a shaman? Well, that's that's a wonderful conversation. I'm glad you asked because clarifying all the words that get applied to people that do different things mm-hmm. really helps people put things in context. Right. So in mundane consciousness, we're in the physical world. We're in space-time. And we think things are solid. But if you ask a... F- a physicist, how much of the universe is matter, is particles, is physical stuff? Do you know what the answer is these days? No. Four percent. Well, what what what's the other ninety six percent? Exactly. That's the question. They talk about dark matter and dark energy, calling it dark because there's no technology to measure it or work with it, but. It's some kind of energy. They just can't, they haven't gotten there yet. So when people all over the world and every indigenous culture talk about there being a non-physical realm that 
certain people can interact with. Mm-hmm. The way I look at it, it's that other 96% and what's going on there. So a mystic and a mystical experience is intentionally or unintentionally shifting your consciousness from the physical world where your body is and where time is to this non-physical world where there are other things to learn and personalities to interact with and a a very different experience than the physical world. Um, A medium is, well, first, a psychic is someone who can look or feel into whatever that stuff is outside the physical world, although a lot of psychics mostly focus on other people, whether they're empaths or um, reading past lives or whatever it is, they're looking at people. But a medium is a psychic who specifically interacts with ghosts, and ghosts are people who have died um, and no longer have a body but obviously are still conscious, and they can interact with them. So there's this range of mystical experiences where people are taking their focus from the physical and looking into whatever that other thing is, whatever the other 96% is. And there's 9,000 years of recorded history of people basically describing the same kinds of things and developing similar methods. So a shaman does a very specific kind of mystical work, which is that shaman not only can see or feel what's going on in the non-physical, the shaman actually interacts with the non-physical and makes changes there. And by changing the non-physical, things change in the physical world. So the healing work is not done so much on the person who comes to them. The healing work is done in the other realm. And there, you know, there are as many names for this stuff as there are traditions. Um, and, and because of that interaction in the non-physical, things change in the physical. So when you ask me about my work, I look at my work as basically cleaning things up. All right. Uh, now, uh, you work remotely as well. Uh, how mm-hmm. does that work? And, and why do you do it that way? Well, space and, space and time, when you're in the other realm, don't exist. So it's not a problem to focus on on something going on somewhere else, get the information, and do what needs to be done. Um, I used to work on site, obviously, um, for all kinds of things. And a lot of the stuff I get called to do is very intense work. Um, When I was young and stupid, which is redundant, um, I got the opportunity to clear – a psych hospital that had been fully occupied the day before. There was a nursing strike. They had to pull all the patients out and move them. And my girlfriend at the time worked at that hospital and had keys and got permission. And we had a lot of fun. We learned a lot. You know, we met all kinds of interesting non-physical characters. And we got to, you know, the hallway that would have had the very dramatic, um, music in the background when we got to the door and opened it. You could feel that there was something different and creepy about it. And there were only three rooms, three locked rooms, obviously the rooms for people that were dangerous. And there was one room we didn't even want to go into. But we did. 
And I could see where whoever this being was, was in the room. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, I walked up to him. What was I going to do? Psychic karate? I mean, it was a dumb thing to do. And it felt like he picked me up and threw me across the wall, across the room against the wall, and he was choking me. So Can't did, see anybody. So how'd you get out of that? Fortunately, the gal I was with was very good at doing what she did. And by the work that she did, bringing more light into the room and calling um, allies in to help us, I got enough wiggle room that I was able to get, a, get away from him. And then the two of us got him taken care of. Um, but I have no desire to be knocked against walls and choked. Well, who the heck does it? I have right? nothing to prove. Yeah. Um, and I've had lots of other experiences that were, um, you know, scare, whether they were dangerous mm -hmm. or not, who knows, but they were definitely scary. So let, let uh, me ask you this. So uh, why, so why go on site exactly? <laughs> all right. So tell me, do you do ceremonies or rituals, uh, to go into trance and dance all over the place when you do your work? For me, not at all. I'm the least ritual ceremonial person around. It just... It's not that I dislike them in terms of participating in someone else's work, but what I learned to do from both of my teachers is, oh, you want to go there and do that? Go there and do that. You know, once you've done it enough times, why do you need to do all this stuff before you just do what you know how to do? So is, is a lot of this stuff that we see basically theatrics to, to appease the audience? Well, no. There is power in the ceremony. Mm -hmm. It does have an effect. It also is bringing in all of the tradition and all of the ancestors that are connected to the energy of the prayers and the, the ceremony and all the rest of it. It's a very powerful way to work. But for me, as a lone shaman sitting by myself, you know, basically a hermit, um, I got to the point where I didn't really have much I needed to do. You know, I don't actually say this, but it's sort of yada, 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 everybody here, we're going to do this. Okay, we all set? All right, let's do this thing. Because that's what's under all of that is a call to your allies and, and others to protect you and come with you. Um, and so I just do that. And so if you watch me, you know, I've been interviewed by local newspapers and thing, and they all want to watch me. I go, you're going to see an old guy with a pad sitting here with my eyes closed. Sometimes I'll shake. Sometimes I don't. I write things on the pad. There's nothing to watch, um, which is very frustrating for people that you know, <laughs> think there's supposed to be some drama to it. And I just... There's really not any drama to my work externally. So what, lot, so what happens There's a is, lot is of that, drama in my experience. So they come to see you expecting to have a Hollywood movie set in front of them, and all they get <laughs> is the real... The real well, I warn, I warn them, and yeah. we, don't, we don't do that. You know, they take pictures of me and stuff. But. All right, David, stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation David Franklin Farkas is our special guest. Househealing.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this news break as we continue 
here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget the X-Chronicles newspaper is available online and for download with our compliments at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. And uh, don't forget to check out our good friends at Simultv, www.simultv.com. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. David Franklin Farkas is my guest this hour, Exonation www.househealing.com. David, you call yourself a ghost res- uh, rescuer. How is that different from a ghostbuster or a paranormal paranormal investigator or, or even a medium? Or like um, me, a guy who's an extra large. <laughs> yeah, there's all those jokes about mediums and large. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You've heard them all, I'm sure. Hey, David, here's a quick one for you. What happens if you don't pay the exorcist? You get repossessed. Boom, boom. There you go. Okay, your turn. <laughs> um, you know, my my feeling about paranormal investigation and ghost hunting and all that, you know, when people say um, they're going ghost hunting, um, my usual wisecrack is they're already dead. Exactly. You know, <laughs> what are you going to do, shooter? Um, the, to me, there are two things that are valuable that can come out of having an interaction with folks who have died. Um, one of those is understanding that there is life after death, whatever that means, that we don't disappear, that you are your consciousness in a physical body is interacting with the consciousness of someone who used to have a physical body but doesn't now. And that there is a continuity. That is profound. And that to me is the most important thing that anybody doing any of this stuff, however they do it, could learn. The other thing is that these are our ancestors. These are other human beings. And we are responsible to do whatever we can for them. So a ghost has died but not crossed over, not gone, gone to the light, however you want to express that. Mm-hmm. And they're stuck, I like to say, they're software in a hardware universe. You need a body to function in space-time. They don't have one anymore. Um, it's very confusing. Most ghosts don't know they're dead, which makes it even more confusing. They're literally lost souls. And my point of view is that we are responsible 
to learn how to help them cross over and get them crossed over so they can complete their life. And so all the other stuff that goes on to me is at best missing the point. So when folks say, let, you know, we're going to take our group to whatever the venue is that's really creepy and has a whole history to it. And a lot of those I know are paid venues where people pay to spend the night in the creepy place. Um, to me, those ghosts being held there and not being crossed over, not helping those ghosts so that someone can make a profit. It makes it a ghost zoo or a ghost plantation. Would you say that uh, that the that the paranormal investigators who go out and thrill seek uh, when they do their so-called investigations are, are being very? It's yes, uh, it's uh, just, disrespectful. Well, for many people, it's another form of entertainment. Hang out, hang out with your friends. Get a thrill, and if something does happen to you that confirms that ghosts are real or, you know, that might be as far as they go, but basically that there is something more than the physical consciousness. Right. Rather than say, well, what now? Now that I understand that, how does that change me and what can I do for them? They just hang out with it and like that they got titillated and excited and got a rush and that to me totally misses the point so i could you know we could all go into judgment about why and how but that's our culture is looking for a thrill and well there, there's there's in my opinion there's a difference between looking for a thrill and being disrespectful right you know right. like and these morons who go into graveyards looking for ghosts or right. they are these old buildings like I'm sorry get a life you bunch of idiots well and if you find them help them find out how to do that you know if you're just doing it for a creepy experience and to have a thrill yeah. yes totally disrespectful um and you know most mediums and many psychics people that do all kinds of work learn to do learn how to help people cross over you know, the technical term is psychopomp. Um, psycho is the soul and pomp is leading. So it's leading souls across. Um, that's the work. That's how, the reason to find them. Well, how do you know if the spirit that you're actually helping or you believe you are helping to cross over actually does cross? After you've done it for a while, well, I can see it, but... Um, after you've done it for a while, there is a shift in the energy and you, most people can feel it in their body. Hmm. Um, I've had experiences where I helped somebody and they came back later and thanked me. Um, you know, for me, that's part of the, my life. You know, my life is somewhat different from a lot of people, but it might come in dreams. It might come in, um, meditation or some other way that you, if you accept that it's a message, will get a message saying, yeah, I got there. But how do we know that the experience that is being alleged to be had by people 
are, are real and not part of their own psyche, that they themselves are creating this illusion that spirits are real, that they are actually communicating with members who have passed on the other side. How do we know this just isn't a big bunch of bupkis? <laughs> the most important thing for all of this stuff, and especially mm-hmm. the, the work that's dangerous, like dealing with demons, yeah. um, is to have a teacher is to do it with someone with experience who learned it from their teacher. Yeah, but that's and, the old way, David. Come on, you're in the year 2018. People don't do that anymore. Well, the only way that you can have a confirmation that your experience as someone who doesn't have a, some other way of confirming it is real is to be standing with someone that can make that confirmation who has been doing it for a long time and who has had other people make that confirmation, you know. If you have three or four people standing in a room that do have that that ability, and they all say, yeah, that's what just happened, yeah, pretty good chance that's what happened. Um, but if you have people who do not have experience, do not have spiritual awareness of one kind or another, um, and have watched... TV and movies to get their paranormal training, um, there is no way to confirm it. There really isn't. So we've got a bunch of yahoos out there claiming to be exorcists, claiming that they can do a lot of stuff that they really can't do. Well, you know, it's exorcism is really interesting because even with Catholic exorcism, the only way that the exorcist knows something happened is by the change in the behavior of the person that they're working on. And what most people don't know is that exorcisms frequently don't work. People come back over and over again. It sometimes takes months or years um, to completely disconnect someone from a demon that really wants to be with them. And that's because they don't clear the demon out of space-time. Here's something that you may find... A whole other skill. Here's something you may find interesting. The Anglican Church has taken out the writ of exorcism out of its prayer books because it Mm -hmm. no longer believes that there is such an entity that requires exercising. You know, that's gone around back and forth in in many churches. Mm -hmm. Um, The Catholic Church had a lineage of exorcism that went back to Jesus. And... It was handed down from one generation to the next. There were writings. There were trainings. There were masters who taught their disciples. It had been going on for hundreds of years. And then it went out of style. And I think it was in the 1400s. And instead of just putting it all on the shelf in the, in the huge archives, mm-hmm. they got rid of all of the stuff. They trashed all of that historical stuff from that long lineage and within 100 years, they realized, oops, that we really need to do this. Well, I, I'm just talking about in the last two years, you know, we went down to my parents' house for Christmas and we went to the, um, the midnight Christmas service. And the, I, I can remember two years ago going there and, you know, there it was, the writ of exorcism in the, in the Anglican prayer book. Right. It's no longer there. And when, well, I, it, when, I, asked, me, when I asked to, why, they said, well, we know it's not real. There's a bigger reason, I think, that may be what they're saying and what they, the people that you were talking to believe. Mm-hmm. The bigger reason is, number one, exorcism is dangerous. 
And number two, if what you have in front of you is a cookbook and you're trying to do it from the cookbook, again, without being trained, it's not likely to work and it's people are going to get hurt. So it's good that it's not there. But what the Catholic Church did was recreate the school for exorcism, find some of the old masters, mm-hmm. and you know people who don't really believe in Satan or any of that stuff go to the school and then apprentice with a master and see a few people that are possessed and go, oh, wait a minute, I was totally wrong. David, stand by. You and I have to take our final break for this uh, hour. Exxon Nation, David Franklin Farkas is our guest. Housecleaning.com is his website. House we'll, Healing. House, I'm sorry, I was giving you another <laughs> job there. House Cleaning, House Healing. Oh, you bay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you must be, use a big Band-Aid when you heal a house, eh? What do you use, peroxide exactly. or iodine? I don't know. We better get on to the <laughs> next segment. www.househealing.com And... Uh, it's just one of those days. Must be close to Friday. Hey, yeah, that's tomorrow. <laughs> we'll be back. Don't go away. David Franklin Farkas is our special guest of this hour, Exxon Nation, www.househealing.com. And for all you ladies who thought that you could call him up and get him to clean your house in his uh, bikini briefs, well, I'm sorry, that was a mistake on my part. Oh, God, no. Uh, just trying to be helpful, old friend. Um, are there a lot of homes that need to have somebody with your talent and uh, with your abilities to come in and and clear them before new people move in? I rarely, when I look at a house, I rarely find a house that doesn't have something going on um, because there are changes in the earth. There are the emotions that have been left behind by the people that have lived there. If there's been any dark, bad stuff that's gone on historically, that stuff has still left its imprint. Um, and there are the entities that are attached to all those human activities that have happened. So um, ghosts may be there that nobody would ever notice, a medium wouldn't bump into, uh, but that are there from 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Um Demons attach themselves to the energy of addiction and violence. So they will hang around trying to make more of what they use for food and what they, um, what they draw out of all of that. Um, <laughs> we didn't really talk about elementals, nature spirits. I've looked at buildings that had old stone foundations or um, used to be a, a mill building with waterworks. Yeah. And found trolls there because the trolls are the guardians of that stuff. Oh, wait a second. Hold on here, David. Hold on here. <laughs> you mean Shrek is real? Shrek is... I like that Shrek is a representation of something that is real, but Shrek is not a troll. <laughs> uh, so what does, what does a real troll look like? 
And how do you how do you know if the house or the the building has a troll the inside only, it? The only way is to have somebody who can actually see it. the The point I wanted to make is that trolls are geological beings. They're running at the speed of stone, and so they come across as not being really smart because everything is really slow for them. Mm-hmm. And so they won't realize that stuff changed a hundred years ago. They'll just they'll do their job. They just keep doing their job. They're stalwart. And so what I usually do after I say hello and they recognize me because I've helped other trolls and I say, you know, you, you, you need to get reassigned. You can't do, do what you were sent here to do anymore because um, they won't notice. You know, that's just part of how they function in the world. But there is this wide range of what we consider fairy tale beings mm-hmm. Um, that are very real. They're not in the physical world partly because they're afraid of us. Um, And they have various functions that they can and do perform in the natural world and even around us if you make contact with them. How would you go about uh, making contact with them? A lot of it is intention and desire. So one of my friends was doing dragon magic. He's in a mystery school. He was being taught rituals and ceremonies and whatnot. And he had contacted dragons. And I started whining, I want a dragon. How come you get that dragon? Um, And he said, you know, you know how this works. You got to talk to the dragons and ask ask them to show themselves to you. And I had an apartment with a hallway that didn't feel very safe. And so I had an angel that was guarding my door. And I went out, as I always did, to thank him. And he wasn't there. There was a dragon there. Like, hi, who are you? I'm Charlie. What are you doing? Where's my angel? I relieved him. I'm doing this for you now. All of a sudden, I had a conversation going on with the dragon who was taking care of me. But that was after weeks and weeks of my focusing on wanting to communicate with dragons. So where's Charlie now? Still here. What does yeah. he do? What does he do when you're at home? <laughs> he is, he's not very talkative. Mm-hmm. Um, he's my bouncer. I see. You know, he's. Uh, so your Charlie is like that um, that big rabbit. What was the name of that rabbit? <laughs> I don't know. I'm out of touch with. Uh, that was uh, that was with Jimmy Stewart. Ah. Harvey. Harvey. That's Harvey. right, Harvey, the giant invisible rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, again, I have a friend who does similar work to mine mm-hmm. who has had dragons for a very long time. I met her at a conference and she looked at my shoulder and said, Who's that? <laughs> like, what do you see? Dragon, of course. What color? You know, I'm challenging yeah. her. She's challenging me. Um, so we now both have dragons, and the dragons have sleepovers. I mean, it's craziness. Um, but if you are in that realm and have that, that those relationships, it's not crazy. So it's I guess just you would another element of being in touch with that whatever isn't physical is. So I guess you wouldn't go into a bar and look at a nice young lady and say, "Excuse me, Miss, would you like to see my dragon?" <laughs> I have met women who would notice the dragons, so because <laughs> they follow me around, they take care of me. So you've got groupies. I've got groupies. Wow. 
You animal, you. <laughs> so so how, you know, wait a second if, here. Hold on here. Hold on here. Hold on here. We're go, we're getting back to the groupies, whether you want them or not, pal. <laughs> so so what it, do these groupies do for you? Each one of them has a very different relationship. Kinky. So so Charlie is my bouncer protector. Uh-huh. Uh, Sammy is a companion. He just wants to be here and next to me is like, like many people will have a certain kind of dog that just mm-hmm. always wants to be with you. Yeah, sure. Sammy just wants to be with me. But I, I'm talking um, about the girls. And, and there I'm are others. About... But here, you know, here's the thing that I always find fascinating. Somebody contacted me on my website and said, your dragons are yelling at me. Mm-hmm. It's like, describe them to me. And he described the two dragons very specifically where they are, what color they were. Right. I said, what are you doing that they even know who you are? Said, oh, psychically, I'm coming to your house to to look at all this. I wanted to see the dragons. Said, okay, so my dragons are doing their job. They are protecting me because they don't know you and you're not supposed to be here. Don't do that, and the problem goes away. (laughs) So it was another confirmation. So you you saw where they stay, Mm -hmm. what color they were, all the rest of it. It's just another psychic poking Uh his nose where he shouldn't have been poking at. Um, so, you know, this all kind of sounds a little strange and you think? W- oh, way out there, pal. You know, and this isn't new. I'm an old guy. I've yeah, had a long you, time. You know, to be everybody's way out got there. their shtick. You know, I do my radio show. You do your things now with dragons. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if if there's anything, I don't anything, know where to go with this. <laughs> I know where to know, go, but I don't want to be. Let's take a step back yeah. to the psych hospital I worked at. Uh, okay. okay? How long were you there? I, I, I worked there. I wasn't there as a patient. Oh, I was okay. staff. Okay. Um, I, about a year and a half. And I had the geriatric hallway, mm-hmm. and there were a bunch of older, you know, old women, that's yeah. who was there, that had ongoing conversations with their, in quotation marks, voices. Right. But I could see who they were. Mm-hmm. They were basically mediums talking to ghosts, who had never been identified as mediums, they hadn't been nurtured as having a skill, and as they got older, they were just crazy old ladies that talked to themselves, and eventually they needed a nursing home, but they couldn't go to a regular nursing home because they had voices. Uh-huh. And in another culture, in another place, when they were kids, they would have been noticed immediately and taken to the grandmother who was training all the mediums in that village and they would have been useful and honored members of that community because of what was different about them. So why do we look at these people differently now? It's interesting because, you know, for example, the UK loves their eccentrics. Every neighborhood has somebody who's a little over the edge, and they yeah, make sure you, that that person is okay. Listen, before you before we start giving on him. too many kudos to the people in the UK, have you ever seen their <laughs> teeth, for God's sake? Aren't there any dentists in the UK? Like, they're all <laughs> tea-stained, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm just making a comparison to the U.S. I don't oh. even know in various places in Canada how people would treat people that eccentric. Um, but in... The U.S., typically, we're afraid of eccentrics. And especially if they're eccentric and they have this tinge of weirdness about them. And so how do we reject them? A lot of street people 
that are walking around mumbling all the time are either psychic or possessed. Or they haven't taken their meds recently because they're homeless. Right, but often they're taking the meds to make their psychic experience go away because, because the because doctors the, don't know any other way to deal with it. That's because the majority of them are mentally ill. We can't having say, worked, we having can't. worked in locked psych units several times, mm -hmm. I've watched how how difficult it is for the psychiatric community to consider that there might be something else going on. They really, it's outside of their worldview. Hey, David, I hate to do this, but we've run out of time for tonight. <laughs> David Franklin Farkas has been our guest, Exxon Nation, www.househealing.com. And, uh, well, instead of spending money and giving it to the homeless who are talking to themselves, maybe we should just carry meds and give them out instead of money. I don't know. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the x from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.